Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1,000 Recordings podcast, episode 13. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and in honor of our 13th episode, with me, as always, is the Triskaidekaphobic Mitchell Davis. What's up? Okay, you're going to have to explain to me what that means. <laughs> it means you're afraid of the number 13. Ah, okay. <laughs> Not that you are, but yeah. Yeah, well, I get it. So that's fine. How's it going? It's good. It's good. Um, we've got some big music to talk about today. Uh, some stuff that felt a little overwhelming when I was trying to, uh, especially the Beatles, uh, when I was trying to, uh, you know, doing the show notes and uh, going through the albums, trying to pick music, all that stuff. Um, you know, the Beatles themselves are so huge. And, and one, I think, kind of interesting thing about this episode is that it starts with someone, you know, ultra obscure. So yeah. we go from, you know, kind of ultra ob- obscure to uh, as famous as you can get, really. Yeah. So, yeah, this week we're going to talk about jazz guitarist Billy Bean. Uh, Then we're going to talk about the Beastie Boys and then finally three albums of the Beatles. And uh, Tom Moon has six albums of the Beatles in this book. So we're going to be talking about a lot of Beatles this week and next week. And uh, yeah, man, what what was (laughs) how was your experience preparing for this week's show? Definitely. uh kind of I, I don't want to say intimidating but th- there's so much that could go on in, in talking about you know not only one Beatles album but three you know Beatles albums uh, but but also Paul's Boutique too uh, it, it really is a very important record in a way a lot of people maybe not you know maybe may not be aware of but it, it set a lot of uh, a lot of precedents um, for its release and I mean you know, it, it's funny looking back when 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 that album first came out, the label basically considered it a flop. You know, it it didn't really jump out like License to Ill did, obviously, and it kind of had to, you know, gain a new audience, so to speak, for the Beastie Boys, which in in their case was very good because I, I think it helped them to sort of you know mature and evolve into what they are now. You know, where they they they're still you know rooted in in, in hip hop music, but but also will play their own instruments, which they did you know before they were really into hip hop. They were I guess kind of like a like a hardcore punk band in, in a lot of ways. But uh, you know Paul's Boutique has a, a lot of history too. But uh, you know going back to to the first uh, artist we're talking about, Billy Bean. I mean the the first thing that came to my mind was a baseball player. You know. Um, <laughs> I was like not aware of who he was at all and then trying to research him. Yeah, he uh you know, apparently worked quite a bit, but as far as his own individual stuff, it was very difficult at first to find much at all on him, you know, outside of reading about him. Yeah. I mean, dude, I I came up against the same thing. I mean, obviously, you know, every week I have to go out and find these recordings. 
And this has been the toughest one to find so far. Um, this album, the first album that we're going to talk about, uh, titled The Trio. And uh, this particular album is the uh, reissue. So The Trio rediscovered, uh, released in 1999. The original album was released in 1961. And uh, this was a jazz trio of guitarist Billy Bean, bassist Hal Gaylor, and uh, pianist Walter Norris. And like you said, you know, Billy Bean, he he played a lot. He played with a lot of people, you know, as a sideman. And uh, this was kind of uh, his personal project. Um, they played apparently around New York City in 1960 and uh, got heard at some point by the legendary jazz pianist Bill Evans, who arranged for this record to be released. And... You know, Billy Bean's story is its really strange because shortly after this album was released in the early 60s, he just retired. He just up and retired from playing and he just disappeared completely yeah. from, uh, from the music scene. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until later uh, jazz guitarists that were real kind of connoisseurs uh, discovered this guy. I'm talking like uh, Pat Metheny, John Schofield, Pat Martino, these kind of players, um, and really revered this guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, as like a precursor to what they did. Uh, but yeah, man, I, just like you, I had the toughest time finding any information. And you know what's funny is that, you know, when I was searching the internet for information, Billy Bean... You know, information is sparse, right? And it's really hard to find the recordings. However, I found that Billy Bean has a a MySpace page. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that too. (laughs) You saw that? Yeah, so there's a picture of him sitting on the bed with his guitar. I mean, he's he's almost 80 years old. And uh, I just thought it was interesting that um, on his MySpace page, it says... uh, you know, if you have any questions for Billy Bean, please leave a message. He does not own a computer, but I would be happy to relay inquiries to him. So there's obviously somebody running this page, you know, not Billy himself, but maybe somebody related or or whatever. I, I just thought that was interesting that it was so hard to find stuff about this guy. And then all of a sudden, you know, a MySpace page pop, pops up. But <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, anyway... Um, I think the first tune we're going to listen to is called Groove Yard. So I don't know. What are your impressions of this? Uh, this just sounds like a guy who, you know, <clears throat> really had a, a, a great knowledge of, of smooth type guitar playing. I shouldn't say smooth. That I mean, you, you, you say smooth and, and try to correlate any kind of jazz to it. And, it, you know, it's, that's not really what I mean. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, he was he was a laid back definitely laid back style of guitar playing. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, when I listened to it, you know, I, I, I thought of it just like, you know, great lounge around type music, you know, where, where somebody's in a club and, and they got their set up and, and cigarettes and, and drinks or whatever. And, you know, that, that's what I hear when I hear his music, you know, um, you know, very relaxing, you know, very cool. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought when I was hearing this tune, Grooveyard. Just a a dark, smoky, 
you know, jazz club is kind of, you know, the music's kind of swanky, kind of groovy, just like you said, kind of cool. Um, yeah, it's just got that vibe, you know, that cool, mm-hmm. cool jazz hipster vibe, you know, like around 1960. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to, the excerpt I'm going to play is, uh, kind of the second half of Billy Bean's guitar solo that leads into the piano uh, solo by, by Walter Norris. And uh, I love the transition. This is just a little musical thing, but I love the transition here between the guitar solo and the piano solo because what happens is they use this technique of call and response, which you hear in jazz all the time, um, where Billy Bean ends his solo with this kind of... Um, fast repeated note you know kind of tremolo on a repeated note and then the the pianist picks that up picks that same motive up to start their solo and it's just i don't know it's just kind of a cool transition just just kind of like the rest of the song you know laid back cool sounds kind of um i don't know effortless kind of yeah and and i i like what what you're saying that not not only were they they grade it at playing individually, but they could vibe off of each other, you know, which, you know, and, and jazz music is, is a great quality, a key quality, you know, to, to, I guess, evolving and, and, and doing things in a, in a way that, that, you know, stand out. And, um, you know, when you kind of have that, I don't know, sixth sense, if you will, to, to kind of know what, you know, to do on stage with, you know, your collaborative, you know, team of musicians or whatever, it, it can just make things so much better, you know? Yeah. And I like you said, the, the call and response part, I mean, that's, that, that's so taken for granted, you know, when it, when it comes to a lot of things in, in music, uh, whether it's musicians on the stage or, you know, musicians, you know, dealing with a live audience, you know, that's, it's, it's so good when, when that works. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Those are the best you know, jazz recordings, live jazz recordings, just everything is just working, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, everybody's in sync. And yeah. So yeah, let's check this out. This track from the trio rediscovered. This is Grooveyard.
And we just heard Grooveyard from Billy Bean uh, and his trio. And we're going to move on to Scramble. So Scramble is, I'd say, much more akin to like the real fast bebop of Charlie Parker. I mean, I think that that's what I hear when I hear this song. Um, It features this unison line, you know, being played uh, between the guitar and the piano. So the guitar and the piano are playing the same thing together. But it's just this crazy line that just ranges, you know, up and down all over the place. It's really, really fast. They are locked in um, to each other as tightly as as possible. You know, (laughs) Um, these two players, Billy Bean and Walter Norris, are just locked in together. Um, And this is one of those kind of tracks. You know, Billy Bean was, it's amazing that he kind of abandoned, seemingly abandoned his career in music because this guy was a badass. Mm-hmm. He was a great player. And this is one of those tracks that, you know, jazz groups, especially during this time, used to do to really show, you know, and set themselves apart, you know, saying, you know, we're great players. This kind of track sets them apart from, you know, the mediocre players because a mediocre player could not play this, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's interesting that we're the next album we're talking about is Paul's Boutique because, you know, during this time, especially in jazz, there's a lot of one upsmanship going on between players and between groups. And I think that was going on a lot. You know, when around that time that Paul's Boutique came out in the hip hop world, you know, there's a lot of one upsmanship. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that's def- this is definitely one of those tunes. So, um, yeah, what did you think of this? Well, yeah, it's, I think, you know, it's just a, a great example of, of how they could just showcase how talented they were. Cause, you know, to, to, to get where you are, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that they, they had different exercises and practices that that they would work out in. and and this might just be you know them just showing out what they would do every day you know just to stay better and, it, and to us it just sounds like you know just this you know spectacular you know piece of music where man how how do you how do you do that how do you play that so fast and 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 along with somebody else doing the same thing but you know if it's something that that where they just encamped themselves and 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 just did it every day. I mean, to them, it's just like, hey, this is just what I do every day. This is just me working out. You know, this is the fruit of my labor, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, you know, I I think that's that could have been maybe one of the things. Uh, you know, because I I wonder, you know, what what happened to him? Like you said, I mean, he just kind of vanished. You know, you know, was it a thing where you know you worked so hard over the years and you know, after a bit, you know, it, it kind of grinds you down where you don't see, you know, the return that you want. And, and maybe he just got tired of it and decided, you know, I've, I've had enough. I need some some peace of mind and, and, and I'm not getting it from this. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't know. It could have been some some health issues or, you know, who know who knows? I mean, I, I'm really curious, you know, kind of going back to last week, you know, we were talking about, you know, Brian Wilson. Um, I mean, I knew a lot about him but you know after you know finding out about 
the, the Smile album and, and then trying to go through and, and finally finding more information on him via, uh, you know, I think a documentary I, I saw on TV one night. I mean, it was just one of those things that now I, I want to know more and more, you know, about Billy Bean. You know, what, what happened to him? You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's what makes this story kind of so intriguing and because um, that is the big question. You know, why did he vanish from uh, from music? And uh, I looked, man, I looked for the answer, even on his his own MySpace page, which obviously, you know, he didn't create, but um, yeah. someone close to him created. It just says that he retired. You know, it doesn't give a reason. And you think, you know, well, you know, why? What was the reason? I don't know. You know, so um, if some listener out there thinks they know, hey, send us an email and, and let us know. But I, I couldn't find the reason. And yeah, that is interesting, you know, to to. You know, why did he give it up? So, um, yeah, let's listen to uh, really what was one of his last recorded statements. Um, Billy Bean from the trio rediscovered this is Scramble. trio and we're going to move on to beastie boys paul's <laughs> boutique uh released in 1989 wow and uh 
Yeah, this album, I'm really glad that Tom Moon put this album in this book because, you know, I've been a Beastie Boys fan um, really since License to Ill came in. I I mentioned on the last show that 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 was the first concert I ever went to, their License to Ill tour. Um, And then in 92, when they released Check Your Head, I was a big fan of that album, a big fan of, of uh, ill communication and, and those albums. But you know what? I miss this album. I mean, I don't know what happened in 1989. Um, I was, you know, probably off into some other music or whatever, but I've missed this album. I told, I mean, I, I remember hearing a few tracks or whatever, but uh, I'm so glad that I got to, to rediscover this album. Cause it's great. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. yeah this- my my uh my first contact with this this album it was it was really a cassette because I I think back in the day MTV was playing playing Hey Ladies uh, the video for Hey Ladies like pretty regular and when you when you saw that video and heard that song you could already tell you know their sound had changed a little bit because you kind of hear a variety of these samples in and out like the um, the opening hook to that song is a, it's a Commodore song, um, I think called Machine Gun, where it it's like the, it's kind of like a, an improvisational type, you know, jump in that song where you know you hear that that kind of guitar lick, and then you hear some other songs layered on, like a, there's a Roger Troutman song, and then I, and then James Brown, and then and you start thinking to yourself, okay, you know. I guess you know, you know, Beastie Boys. Obviously, they they like a variety of music, but the but the things you're hearing, you know, I, I'm thinking this 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 has to be something a little different because it that feeling didn't come out in the sound of Life Steel, and, and that's a great album. It has some also has some really cool stuff on it, especially as far as samples. But this was different the way. Oh the yeah, dude, rang. so different. Yeah. Oh, and 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 I was. I was in my my bedroom, or I, I I'm trying to remember how this went when I when I was, I guess I was what 19 back then, and I was I was in my bedroom, and um, my brother came in, you know, who's about six years younger than me. He had bought Paul's Boutique, thinking it was going to be like licensed ill. He goes, "You want this Beastie Boys tape? I hate it." <laughs> I just laughed. <laughs> really? He's like, "Yeah, it's nothing like licensed ill. I don't like it." And I was like. I'll check it out, you know. So I just kind of sat on it for a minute, and then was uh, riding to work one day. You know, I can't even remember where I worked at the time. And was playing in my car, and you know, from the beginning, you know, where you you hear that opening track to all the girls and the the organ and the the reverb on that bass. I was like, okay, this is not the same Beastie Boys. This is this is something a lot better, if not different, than than license to ill and and definitely they they have somebody else on on their i guess production team or whatever you want to call them i mean that that influence i guess was the dust brothers you know who you know lived out in california had this this enormous a record collection and and were just great at making tracks and beats you know for for djs or rappers and you know the the beastie boys somehow or another you know figured out because apparently they were going to release this record a lot differently than the way it, it came out. 
you know, because uh, the, the so, so many of the samples had to be cleared, obviously. And for them to do it in the original form, which it did come out, there would have been so much legal action they would have to go through, which, which that happened too. And I'm so grateful they decided just, hey, you know what, we'll just take our chances. Because this album could have come out sounding much more stripped down than what the finished product was. But anyway, you know, I, I just, I'm just really, really grateful for, for them sticking to their original idea to do this. Because I'm sure the record label was like, you know, no, we're, we want License to Ill. You guys are going to put this record out and it's not going to do well. And initially it did not. You know, it, it, it took some time before, you know, like you said, a lot of people missed it, like you missed it, got into yeah. the record, you know. And um, just just so much good stuff on this record. So many samples that sometimes you have to go through and really, you know, like with a fine tooth comb and go, wait a minute, you know, I know that, but where where did they get that from? It, this album is just full of that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the almost one of the fun things about this album for anybody who's a, a really into music or like an audiophile type person is. Yeah, to try to go through all these songs and pick out, you know, where everything's from. I mean, you know, this album is called the 1000 Recordings Podcast, you know, on Tom Moon's book, 1000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die. And this album is almost like a 1000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die in one album. Yeah. You know, it's like this it's like this huge mad collage of uh of records. Um yeah. and on some of these tracks, you know, as Tom Moon points out, every individual drum is from a different album you know yeah. that, that make up the rhythm tracks um uh yeah man that's just that's crazy this is this it, is like it, yeah just like music nerds going nuts it know? must have been just at that times painstaking to to go yeah. through and choose you know what drum kick what what loop here what the, what loop there uh, something I read that that really, you know, kind of made me, kind of made me smile is, I mean, because you know, there are a lot of people who who love this record. I mean, and the the opening sentence on on the the, the spot in the book, it, Chuck D from Public Enemy talks about how they were making beats that were better than any other hip hop group at the time, and for him to say that, you know, Chuck D, who you know they they were the same where they would sample things and 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 manipulate them you know hank shockley the the guy who did a lot of public enemy sound you know where you you would have to sit down and and the person who who would who had made the song that they sampled they couldn't even recognize it i mean um you know and and that's kind of what happened here where you know, you have so many things going on at one time. It, it was it was almost like creating something new, like you said, in a collage. Uh, Miles Davis, even, you know, and this is right about the time, I think, right before Miles passed. He said that he could not stop listening to this record. He said he would hear so many things that he would recognize and then go back and try to break it down. And I mean, getting praise from somebody like Miles Davis, who, who Dude, doesn't that's yeah. <laughs> that's 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 amazing endorsement <laughs> exactly exactly i mean that would that would blow my mind but apparently he he really got into this record and again like i said the end result you know once people realized what the beastie boys had done 
you know, there were there was a huge lawsuit, a class action lawsuit that was brought against them. And I mean, the, the BC Boys were one of those groups that they were constantly running from trouble, you know, from variety of things and them being on tour and and all sorts of stories about what they were doing backstage, what they were doing on stage. Um, you know, the PMRC was after them really bad. I remember uh, Oprah Winfrey on, on Oprah's show one time. She uh, she played like Paul Revere and put the lyrics to the screen. <laughs> There's the song on the screen. You know, like, you know, I was just... I was just like, oh man, they're gonna kill them. <laughs> you know? I was thinking that the BC wasn't gonna want to be in jail and all sort of stuff, and you know they they persevered, you know, through all that stuff. And I mean, they, you know, they they did some stuff that that probably could have got them really put in jail. But you know, I, I think they, you know, they were just having fun. I mean, you know, they were just really young and stupid, and, and I, I'm sure they would go back and tell you a lot of the stuff that they did. You know, they. They probably wish now, you know, I was like, man, there's no way I'd, I'd do some of that stuff now, you know. But, um, you know, I, I'm glad, again, like I said, that they they decided to go ahead and release this album the way it is now. And, I mean, they re-released it again, you know, and kind of expanded it, I think, and put some extra songs on the, the newer version. Also, another thing about this album, when it came out, they, they re released it on vinyl as well. And that vinyl gatefold that opens up. You know, I, I I found that I still have that record. Uh, it's oh, it's wow. just one of the coolest records. The way it opens up, and you see like the whole, you know, city block where the streets split open. I mean, it it's one of the coolest records. I mean, if you if you're into vinyl, you know, this is a, a good record to own. Even if you just want to get it for the cover, you know, it, it has an awesome record. I'm I'm sure you can still find Paul's Boutique here and there on 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 Wax. I mean, they. When they reissued it, I'm sure they reissued the the uh, the new yeah yeah version on vinyl probably, and you know it's it's a it's just a great record, a classic record. Yeah, so well, we're gonna start with this song, "The Sounds of Science." Um, <laughs> so what do you think of this one? Um, just a a great example of again how they they take so many different songs mash them into this one new song and and or you know try to try to make something new out of something old and um you know the 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 thing i, I you know ironically that that's cool about about this track is that it it, it samples a uh beatles song uh, from sergeant peppers and i mean I, obviously if you're a beatles fan you know you'll pick up on it you know, almost immediately, uh, where the guitar lays down, and you're just like, you know, can they do that? <laughs> you know, did they get permission to do that? And I mean, you know, I'm I'm sure originally they 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 had to get some kind of clearance, but you know, it, it it's just a great example of their wordplay. They're they're such great rappers. I mean, you know, being white and Jewish and from New York, I mean. A lot of people want to discredit the Beastie Boys, but they're they're so smart in and what they put in into their lyrics. I mean, just clever and 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 then to themselves, you know, where they they're not. It doesn't seem like they're ever faking, you know, in their rhyme style. And I, that's one thing about the Beastie Boys too that I love, you know, where you know they they're just themselves. They're just 
they love hip hop music, but they love being the Beastie Boys, you know. And uh, and they that this song just it just totally just rocks to me, you know. I I, I love it. Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's there's plenty of uh, stuff on this album. Uh, you know, the typical hip hop stuff. You know, where they're like I said, the one upsmanship. You know, the the throwing it in other DJs' face and stuff. And oh, yeah. but they do it with this sort of sense of whimsy. You know, all the mm. time, and uh, sort of you know this sense of mischief, or whatever. This song, it it just makes me smile, laugh because you know it starts out so, sort of goofy sound. I don't know how to yeah. describe the beginning, and then in the very middle you have. Um, uh, which one is it? Uh, I think it's Ad Rock. He yells out "Rope a Dope," and then it <laughs> yeah. switches to yeah. this like really awesome beat. You know, yeah, really fast beat, but really great. And um, I don't know. It's it's just it's got that Beastie Boys spirit to it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's so it, cool. It's, it's like it's almost like an opera. <laughs> I hate yeah. to say that. Yeah, dude. It, I, you know, I totally know what you're saying. Yeah, it, it it has so many different styles and moods and 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 sudden shifts. Yeah, and and this this one song, like you said, it's 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 just great how you know it it starts off one way and then it changes in the middle and you know just samples here and there where you stuff you recognize right away, like like the KRS one sample uh, right up to your face and dish you, and then stuff that you don't. You know where you're like, okay, I'm looking now. What, where'd they get that from? But even, even with all that, it's just, it's just a fun ride. And again, like I said, is it was one of those records that I, I initially totally was not like, like you and 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 some other people. I didn't go out to buy this record when it first came out. I was, it was given to me, like I said, by my brother. But I'm glad, I'm so grateful, my brother gave it to me because I, I liked it. You know, the first moment I listened to it, you know, and just you know, like you said, being a music nerd, you know, and starting to hear all the things that you hear, um, like High Plains Drifter sound, a sampling the Eagles, where you you know that bass line, you know, and you're like, this is just the craziest that they'll sample anything, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and make it work, you know. So, yeah. So let's check it out. Um, this first track from the Beastie Boys from Paul's Boutique. The Sounds of Science. Stadium, the radium. E-M-D square. Kick out of the palladium. Just think that I can't. It's the sounds of science. The sounds of science.
That's right. My name's Yao. And we just heard the sounds of science by the Beastie Boys. And we're going to move on to their track, Shadrach. Um, and uh, this track, the I don't know, man. The the, the rhyming and the what thing? One thing that really impressed me on the South is really impressive about this album and their uh, their rapping on this album is just the how fast they do this sort of back and forth and sometimes they'll split a sentence you know like every word you know a different person is saying and it's just like back and forth you know just like rapid fire and then sometimes you know it'll be a couple of them saying it in unison and then it'll jump here and jump there and uh it's just this yeah really fast rapid fire back and forth stuff and some of the (laughs) some of the uh the lyrics that I caught like this one line uh, that made me go, Whoa, what? Uh, they say, because they got more stories than JD's got Salinger. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa, what? <laughs> Cause it's just, you know, it's one of those lines. Like I got more rhymes than blah, blah, blah. You know, like one of those lines, mm-hmm. but you know, it's referencing JD Salinger. Who's, you know, so it's like this literary reference and it's also kind of this nerdy reference and, and sort of obscure. And um, it's just one of those lines that kind of makes your ears perk up and you're like, whoa, what? You know, it's, yeah. it's just a little different just coming. I don't know. I don't, what, what do you think of this track? I totally agree. Uh, a, another reference in this song, got more suits than Jacoby and Myers. You're, <laughs> you're like, OK, what the hell is that supposed to mean? And then you you recognize that that's their their legal team, their lawyers and. And trust me, they got suits, <laughs> lots of suits, especially dealing with the Beastie Boys and their variety yeah. of, of myths. So, um, like you said, just the, the rhyme style where they they play off of each other, and and then the cadence and and their their rapping. The, the Beastie Boys, I feel like, are very underrated. I mean, some people some people know, you know, how how good the Beastie Boys are, and I mean. I, I don't want to liken Amadeus to the Beastie Boys, but in in Amadeus's day, he had so much talent. But at times, he could be so reckless, you know. And I mean, just do things that make you think, you know, this guy is not a serious anything. But you know, he was, and and it's the same thing with the, the Beastie Boys. I mean, they they did so much. To kind of so you know I guess bring a negative light to themselves you know with the partying and and women that you know were you know either after them or they were after the women or and the drinking I, I've heard legendary stories about like the the shows here where they they were on stage drinking throwing cans of beer into the audience and and just all kinds of just you know, outrageous stuff. Um, the the inflated penis that was on the stage. That's another story <laughs> I heard. It had a giant inflatable penis. You know, just you know, just all kinds of stuff that yeah. the Beastie did. That that you know, people were just like, no, no, no. But despite all that, very, 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 very talented rappers. Very, very, very ta- talented writers. Obviously, and and great. <coughs> 
for beats and, and tracks and sounds really like nobody else. I mean, you know, I, I think they really helped set a trend with this album for for hip hop after this, where people were, you know, okay, if they can dig that deep, so can I, you know. And and guys just started going into a variety of things, things that, that people wouldn't sample. Okay, like another group that that has a lot of respect for the Beastie Boys, they lost soul. You know, I, I think of them in the same light where, you know, lyrically they will rap about things where you you just scratch your head and go, what are they talking about? And and you'll go look for a dictionary or a thesaurus or whatever, you know, to try to figure out what they're saying. And yeah. also what they sample is is sometimes just totally out of this world. You know, just, you know, they, they sampled like, you know, children's nursery rhyme albums, you know, and, and, you know, Prince Paul was behind a lot of the things they did, DJ Prince Paul, you know, and uh, again, just another group that, that were just totally not afraid to, to step out and, and do different things. And I think part of this song is, is what that's about, you know, where the Beastie Boys were ready to, to walk through fire, you know, like, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, in, in the Bible. And and, and that's kind of, I think, the, the what they're referencing, you know, in this song, you know, where where some, some fire would burn up other people, you know, it's going to refine them, you know, and make them better. And, and trust me, I, I'm sure they've walked through some fire. They're, they're probably still walking through fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah. interesting that you mentioned Amadeus because that brought up uh, – a story that one time um, Amadeus was kind of ordered to write this piece for this collection of music. Uh, I don't think he wanted to do it, but back then, you know, when you were ordered by the emperor or whatever, you did it. Mm-hmm. So he did it. And, um, and this is a true story. And, and I apologize to people who might be offended by this, but this is the title. He wrote this piece and he titled it, eat my shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something that the beastie boys would do. I think, uh, you know, something like that. Um, yeah. they had that. <laughs> yeah. So this was, uh, yeah, kind of interesting, but also wanted to mention, um, that this, uh, technique, you know, of sampling this art of sampling of, of, you know, creating these tunes out of found music and like a collage. Um, you know, it's, this is one of the last great iterations as far as album releases, because a couple of years after this was released, there was a law passed that made it um, just way too expensive. I mean, to, to yeah. do this, you know, to, to be able to do an album like this. Um, but I wanted to mention that this art is really still going on. And I, I wanted to mention this guy on YouTube uh, who's still doing this just in a kind of a slightly different way. But it's the same thing that the Beastie Boys did and is in the same spirit. This guy's name is Kutiman. It's spelled K-U-T-I-M-A-N. It's this guy from Israel. And what he does is he'll go around YouTube and troll all these videos. And so he'll take just this found music. So he'll find a video of a dude playing upright bass by himself. Then he'll find another video of a girl singing by herself. Then I'll find another video of someone playing piano. Then maybe another video of a string quartet and vi- you know, video uh-huh. of a synthesizer. And then he'll take all this stuff, chop it up, just like the Beastie Boys did, 
make bass lines, make grooves, and put it all together, and he creates these amazing songs just from this, all from this found material. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it's really, really cool and, and impressive. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, check that out um, if you if you can. But may, I'll, I'll send you some of that stuff, Mitch. Maybe you can check it out. But, um, yeah, maybe we can just play this. Yeah. Uh, Shadrack. Love this song. This is Shadrack from the Beastie Boys. heard Shadrack from the Beastie Boys uh, with a uh, slide stone there on the main loop. Um, and I think uh, our next album uh, is uh, the Beatles, uh, Hard Day's Night. Yeah. So now we get into the Beatles. Um, and, uh, you know, when I was coming up to just get this together, you know, and, and get the tracks together and, and get my notes together. Um, it was quite overwhelming. I mean, like, where, where do you even start with the Beatles? You know, how much do you talk about? Because there's, of course, been, you know, volumes of books and articles and um, dissertations and college courses and all, you know, about the Beatles and... Uh, they're just they've just been so pervasive you know in music and in in 20th century society and uh yeah it's it's really mind-boggling um to to just think about you know the the vastness Uh, of their influence so yeah my my thing about about this record especially is that at the time they were still so very young 
and and to have the kind of mega success that they were having at that time and and not have their collective train come off the track is, is to me is really amazing in in itself um where you see so many artists that that have that kind of fame and and have it so young that you know come out all messed up or or whatever and um you know they just seem to just take it all in stride i mean i'm sure they had they had bad days like everybody else you know but uh i mean i mean i i think it was just it was just so right at the time you know america was 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 just ready for what they had i mean you know the Beatles could just sit and just talk you know and they would just hold court i mean all the press conferences you see and and the the different you know clever answers that they would give to different questions by you know so-called reporters and i mean people just ate that up i mean you know i mean i guess it was you know the beatles and bob dylan you know at the time they, they were all so very popular i mean and i i could think of a lot of other artists but the beatles were and then there was nothing like that before then i mean you know to have that kind of worldwide success I'm sure there was there had never been anything like that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing about the Beatles that just blows my mind completely <laughs> is the thought that um, you know all the albums that they put out and all the changes that they went through and all that stuff. Um, this band was not together for even ten years. Yeah, I mean that blows my mind to go from "I want to hold your hand," you know, all the way through to "Let it be," and that's not even ten years. Yeah, that's yeah, just that's amazing to think about uh, yeah. what they it, did in such a short amount of time. Really, you're right, and I, I mean it just it just reflects on the the talent and the chemistry between that band. You know, I mean even. You know, a, a lot of people, you know, really don't give, I think, you know, even Ringo Starr as much credit maybe as he deserves, you know, where you have Paul George and John at the forefront most of the time. But I think even he, his influence was, is very important for what this band was about, you know. And, uh, you know, just everything that that they were trying to do and, and ex expand on and, and, and and play with. I mean, you know, so many people have been influenced by them. You know, and and what they what they did. You know, it's it, it's hard really to sit down. You know, for the time that we have allowed, and and really go through it in, in a proper way. Yeah. You know, um, but just I have I have so much respect for them. I mean, so much respect for their music. Um, I mean, I've, I've listened to the Beatles, you know, since I could listen to music, you know, and yeah, same here. It's it's just one of those things that I, I've I've always loved them, you know, in a, in a variety of, of mediums, you know, obviously music and and on on TV and and just reading about the, the different members and them them together, them apart. Anyway, um, but but this was I think was a great way to kind of 
you know, bring them out even more. This album and then the, the subsequent movie, you know, made around the music on this album, you know. Right, Because um, right. just people were, okay, so, something I think about that, that I, I relate, especially to this album and this movie, was Purple Rain, you know. At, at the time, you know, people were, were so hungry for the Beatles, you know, this was just a great way to give give people what they want, and and the same thing with Purple Rain. Not not really saying that the the success was the same, but at the time, Prince was was the man. You know, you, you could not turn your TV on and not hear about him. And and when Purple Rain came out, you know, I can remember going to the movies, and, and sometimes a movie theater that would have like four screens. Every screen would have purple rain on it. You know, <laughs> I've never seen anything like that. You yeah, know, just yeah. people were so hungry for that guy, and and that's the only thing I can think of that, you know, people were so hungry for the Beatles at at this point where where they they had they had the world, you know, in the palm of their hands, you know, and, and just such such good writing skills and and, and musicianship. You know, on this on this album, even you know, the being their older album where they before they kind of really, you know, I hate to say, just started taking drugs and, and tripping out and, and doing really, really different stuff. Yeah, well, it, or, but I mean, it's that's a true statement, you know. It, yeah, yeah. Just just you can hear how how good they are, you know, throughout their careers. You know, even on this record, I mean, just just so good this record. Yeah, you know? I mean, this one, the first track we're going to listen to is "I'll Be Back." And uh, it sounds interesting, you know, to listen to. It's, I guess all this stuff is interesting to listen to in hindsight. But you can kind of hear, you know, that they've still got that kind of sound, you know, from when they first started. But then you can also kind of hear them just starting to move on to something different. Um, and I think, you know, possibly, as you said, you know, that the drugs were maybe the catalyst for for really pushing over that hill into something really different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, th yeah. This is before that happened. Um, and uh, yeah, what do you think of I'll Be Back? Um, I, I like this song because it's, you know, unlike Hard Day's Night and, and, and a lot of the songs on this album that you hear all the time, you don't really hear this song on the radio quite as much as those songs. But I love this one, you know, just as much, maybe even more. It, it kind of has like a, a Spanish feel to it at, at times. And, you know, I, I just love the, the echo in their voices when they're singing. I mean, it, it's a melancholy type feel in the song, but, but a beautiful feel where, you know, the, the way they would harmonize when they would sing, you know, I, I, I love that. And, and, and that's one of the things about this song that I love you know so much is is their 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 harmony and their vocal styling and and then in the way they would play together i mean you know they they were just so good at, at making good melodies and and good pop songs i mean you know nobody liked them ever you know obviously yeah. you know and the, and the obviously the you know the the writing between Paul McCartney and, and, and John Lennon, of, of course, I mean, they're, they're just considered to be, you know, 
you know, like the Batman and Robin of songwriting. I mean, they just, they had so many great songs that they wrote. And, uh, yeah. And that see now, even with that, you know, with your comparison to Batman and Robin, now you're going to get a bunch of Beatles scholars arguing <laughs> over who's Robin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, and that's messed up in itself. You know? <laughs> yep. Uh, and, and you know what? I, I, that's, that's a good point. I, I would say at times they would change uniforms, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes John was Batman and sometimes Paul was Robin and sometimes vice versa, you know, uh, but but that's the thing I think that helped them where I, I'm sure the Beatles had egos, you know. <laughs> yeah, we know. All of they them. did, yeah. But but I'm but I'm sure even with that they they could figure it out at, at least till, you know, almost the end where they they finally decided to part ways, you know, to to, to make it work, you know. And and I mean, you know, this like I said, this could have come off the tracks very early very early where you have that kind of fame and you're that young and all of a sudden you think you know what why am i with i don't need these guys i can do this on my own i'm, I'm famous enough but they they like you said they kept together and then 10 years really doesn't seem that long but for them really it was to to keep that group together yeah yeah so, that's a good point I think that was a it was a, a great testament, you know, just because, I mean, the Beatles could have kept going and, and been together, you know, like the Stones. I mean, you know, given, you know, John Lennon not being assassinated and all that and, and, and kept on going. And, and would they still be revered the same? I, I don't know. You know, you know, if the Beatles had gone on and, and put out some albums that were not as good. You know, maybe, maybe not. I mean, and I'm sure that's something that that people have talked about anyway throughout time. But um, again, going back to the song, you know, just I I I just always love the way this song sounds. Like I said, it 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 has like a like a like a slight Spanish influence in the way the guitar sounds, and and just I just love the harmony and, and the vocals on this song a lot, a lot. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Let's check it out. This is our first track from Hard Day's Night. This is I'll Be Back. You know, if you break my heart, I'll go. But I'll be back again. Because I told you once before goodbye. But I came back again I love you so I'm the one who wants you Yes, I'm the one who wants you Oh, 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 oh You could find better things to do Than to break my heart again This time, I will try to show that I'm not trying to pretend I thought that you would realize That if I ran away from you, that you would want me to That I got a big surprise, oh, 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 oh Find better things 
than to break my heart again. And we just heard I'll Be Back by the Beatles, and we're going to move on to You Can't Do That, uh, also from A Hard Day's Night. Um, yeah, and this one is a little bit different in tone. Um, I feel, you know, I feel almost dumb talking about these songs because I figure, you know, who hasn't heard? I mean, I know there are people that there's got to be people out there that have not heard these songs. But, you know, part of me is like, everyone knows these songs. You know, why do you even need to talk about them? But um, I don't know. Does that make sense? To it, it does, <laughs> but but you know that's not true. I mean, yeah, yeah. Generation. I, I've got four teenagers. You know, and and I, I can sit and and try to talk to them about the Beatles, and you know maybe they they're somewhat familiar. So there, I mean, really, there's a whole new generation that that are are still kind of coming on to to who the Beatles are, yeah. e- even though they're they're the Beatles. You know, I mean, there are some people who don't know who Madonna is. You know, who Michael Jackson? That's true. My, That's true. Michael Jackson just passed. You know. Who's Michael Jackson? And I'm like, have you been living in a cave? You know, I mean, what do you mean? Who's Michael Jackson? So, you, you never really know, you know. So, but it's 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 not so strange, you know. It's it it has to be, you know, considered that you know there's some people who just, you know, maybe missed it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I I just I I I really like this song. I mean, it's kind of rocking, kind of upbeat. And it really features this sound that, and Tom Moon talks about it too in the book, that George Harrison uh, created with this 12-string electric guitar. You know, this special, I don't know, this just sound that sounded like the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Um, you can really hear it, you know, on this track. Um, yeah, what do you think of You Can't Do That? Uh, like you said, just shows off George Harrison. You know, people consider him really one of the greatest guitar players, you know, ever. You know, as far as introducing new sounds and different sounds, you know, him him deciding to pick up a sitar, you know, whereas, you know, some people are like, are you are you serious? You're going to actually play that on your yeah. song? And he's, he's like, yeah, I'm going to play some of my song. You know, it's, you know, they just they were great innovators. You know, they were definitely willing to take take chances and, and were allowed to take chances, you know, by the by the label where they just kind of, you know, you guys go ahead. You know, we trust you. And I mean, it's it was just a great period for them to be the Beatles, so to speak, um, in that span of time where they recorded. You know, they just, uh, you know, who who knows if if somebody were to try to come out now like the Beatles did then, you know, and and, and try to do that, you know, where you have so many. And I mean, record companies, you know, don't get me started on record companies. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, they obviously they want to make money. They they want hits. But, you know, sometimes you have people running record companies that, you know, they know nothing about music, you know, up or down, you know. And, yeah, and that's absolutely. not the case, but, you know, just you got people that they just they're just pushing stuff on folks that, you know, it's it's, it's not good. It's not anything anybody wants to hear. That's that's what can get on my nerves real bad about record companies it just just do do music like an assembly line at a at a car plant where they're yeah. just cameras so yep. yep yep absolutely um yeah i don't think another band or, or another i should say maybe another phenomenon like the beatles i don't think it could happen again because 
you know, even if the Beatles themselves just came out because it's just, you know, the time was right, the climate was right, the, the world was right. You know, all conditions were right for that to happen. And, you know, it's just a different world now. Um, yeah, so. yeah, definitely. I mean, no no social media. I mean, TV, when, when the Beatles first came on Ed Sullivan show, I mean, you know, you maybe had five channels. <laughs> and most people. Some um, of them didn't yeah. have that, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I don't know, let's just roll this track. This is our second track from Hard Day's Night. You can't do that. I've got something to say that might cause you pain. If I catch you talking to that boy again, I'm gonna let you down and leave you flat. Because I told you before, oh, you can't do that. Well, it's the second time I caught you talking to him. Do I have to tell you one more time? I think it's a sin. I think I let you down. Let you down. I leave you flat. Gonna let you down and leave you flat. Because I told you before, oh, you can't do that. Everybody's green. Cause I'm the one who won your love. But if they'd see. You can't do that. And we're going to move on to their album Rubber Soul from 1965, just a year later. And I should mention that there were releases between Hard Day's Night and Rubber Soul. So Rubber Soul was not the immediate, you know, release after this one, after Hard Day's Night. But um, the jump from Hard Day's Night to Rubber Soul is, is, is pretty huge. Yeah. Um, we're going to start off with the song Norwegian Wood, which is just such a departure from anything on Hard Day's Night. Um, and it features this sitar, like you said, uh, George Harrison playing this uh, classical Indian instrument, the sitar. Uh, a lot of people think that Norwegian Wood, maybe the lyrics are referencing cannabis or something. You know, who knows? I don't know. But yeah. this is definitely when they started their uh you know as they refer to it their medication <laughs> um yeah yeah what do you think of norwegian wood uh just uh whenever i hear the song even now you know i i just try to picture exactly what is pertained in the lyrics you know where you know you have a, a guy with a woman and, and they're at his they're at her place and you know They've got a fire going and probably some other things going and, you know, 
Um, again, like you said, going back to the sitar, it, it, it adds just such a cool atmosphere to this song, you know, and I, I, I'm assuming reading on the, the history of the song, like you said, it, the, the sitar was, was not typically in pop tunes like this that you'd hear on the radio. As a matter of fact, they, they, they're saying that this may be one of the first charting pop songs that has a sitar in it. And, um, it just made them again kind of stand out from from everybody else you know and and i'm sure that that was one of those things that that the beatles you know prided themselves on was was being different you know and being unique and setting trends and and trying to to stay ahead now obviously the the beatles had their own influence as well from from other music like uh i think a, a song on this album uh, act naturally uh was a, a song that that buck owens originally did from hee-haw you know oh, yeah i know buck owens yeah <laughs> yeah and i mean you know they obviously listen to a variety of, of musics where you know you've got a sitar on one song and then a song that it kind of sounds country and then some other songs that are just straight up remakes of blues or soul songs you know you know the beatles definitely they they had their own Pull of influences and things that they liked and listened to but then you know uh, the thing i love about them was their perspective you know and they they had their own unique perspective and and tried to stay true to it even if they weren't sure what that was until they got to where they wanted to be so to speak and um again that you know that's a, what i think about with this song is that they you know would sit down get great lyrics you know or interesting lyrics and, and then put the music along with it and then just you know try to work it out you know the the best way that they knew how uh but uh yeah i i, I love this song just really 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 great the way the the sitar sounds and and the 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 plucking style of the the acoustic guitar on it and you know just uh, I, I love the I love their style all together. Love the Beatles. Yeah, one thing I wanted to say about Norwegian Wood and the inclusion of the sitar is uh, that on this album, I think you can really start to see the individual members of the Beatles starting to move off in their own directions. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. um, uh, you know, like for instance, George Harrison, including this Indian sitar. Uh, on this tune, Norwegian Wood, which, you know, in Norwegian Wood, d done in a more straightforward way, I mean, this could be just like a straight-up Irish tune, really. But, yeah. you know, it has this sitar thrown in, so it's got this otherworldly sound. And um, obviously from uh, George Harrison's, I guess, kind of quasi-spiritual experiences in India and... Um, uh yeah so um but yeah we'll, we'll, we'll i think we kind of start to see it on this album and then we really see it on the next album that we're going to talk about revolver but um yeah, yeah. you want to go ahead and just check this out definitely um this is norwegian wood by the beatles
say she wants at me She's shown me her own Isn't it good Norwegian wood She asked me to stay and she told me to sit anywhere We just listened to Norwegian Wood by the Beatles. And uh, I think the next song uh, we're going to talk about is The Word. Yep. Um, and uh, what did you what did you think about this song? I, You know, I think it's interesting that the Beatles can take the simplest things and like kind of elevate them to, to a whole new level. Because the word really, if you look at just the backbone of the music, it's just kind of a simple 12 bar blues really is mm-hmm. what it is but somehow you know it's elevated to this whole other level um and the the beatles seemingly could do that with anything really that they touched you know no matter if it was something that was really exotic like the sitar music or if it was something really kind of simple and familiar you know like this <laughs> So, um, but I, yeah, I like this tune. I, I think it's, it's rocking and it's got kind of an attitude and yeah. What do you think of it? I, I agree. I, and I, I think what you said about the, the things that they, they could do to, to simple things in music, I, I guess they would try to make themselves akin to what would ever turn their ear or tickle their ear, so to speak. And just focus on that, no matter how simple it might be, and then just kind of, kind of work with that. I mean, that's, I guess, in the simplest terms, you know, kind of describes what what the Beatles were all about. I mean, you know, I mean, they they had so many things that they did with sound, you know, over their their career as a as a group. And I mean, I mean, again, it's just. It's one of those things, and even in this song, to 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 take things from from so many styles of music, and 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 from their perspective, you know, lay it out there. You know, that just I think it's just one of the things that made them prolific. You know, and and yeah. it made them so popular. Um, to have just a a great, I guess, what you would think of as a a great think tank of of minds. You know uh, that that just worked well together. You know, and and not necessarily always agreeing on the same things. I mean, like you said about about George Harrison and, and his influence in India, I'm sure that you know that was not always well received. You know, by the other guys in the band. I mean, sometimes it wasn't, and sometimes it probably they're like, okay, that's enough. You know, with you know stuff from India, can we can we do something else? <laughs> 
I know you, you have, you're you really loving it, but okay, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's get away. Yeah, it's from just like just 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 put it just put it down, George. Just just yeah. just put it down. Walk away. Just walk away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's it's just like I said, it's 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 really really amazing to me that that they you know they were together the way they were as long as they were, you know, and it, even in in the end of of their creative time, you know, where, where people were, were at first, you know, obviously some of them were furious, you know, with where the Beatles broke up. I mean, you know, it was, looking at who they were, it was just natural. You know, they, they were gonna want to do different things eventually, you know, you know, keeping that together was, it was an amazing feat to do as long as they did, I think. You know, and they, they were just all so good and, and had so many ideas, you know, uh, and who knows, I mean, you know, how things would have gone, like I said, at, you know, after a few years, maybe they would have all decided to get together, you know, I mean, eventually they did, you know, but you know, obviously without John, but, you know, who knows what, what would have happened, you know, and, yeah. and I mean, it's it's still just great to, to look at their legacy as it stands. I mean, they, they have an awesome legacy. I mean, you know. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Well, let's just check this out. This track from Rubber Soul, The Word. just heard the word from the Beatles rubber soul and we're going to move on to the next year 1966 their release revolver and this was really kind of a one of those landmark recordings one of those recordings that um, really changed the face of the music scene at the time it just kind of blew people's minds it influenced people uh, all those things and I, and I think really it like I mentioned before on this album, you can really see the Beatles start to 
diverge. So you can see, you can hear their paths starting to diverge and they're kind of doing their own thing on several songs. And the first song that we're going to play, Eleanor Rigby, um, is definitely one of those things. I mean, this song is pretty much all Paul. You know, it's um, it's Paul singing, except for the chorus, as you know, when they're singing. Um, uh, no, only people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, uh, thank you. And um, that has harmony vocals, but the rest of it is just Paul. The backing track is string quartet. So obviously none of the Beatles are playing these instruments. Um, so yeah, this is really kind of Paul. Um, you know, you can see this examples like this on the whole album, like the song um, Tomorrow Never Knows. Uh, this is a John Lennon song. So you can hear him singing on this song and him uh, sort of experimenting with, well, what I would call kind of sampling. And, you know, tape loops and reverse tape loops and all this kind of stuff that he was into. Uh, then you can look at a song like Love to You. This is a more George Harrison um, with Indian music, but taken even further. I mean, there's sitar, but there's also a lot of other Indian instruments. I mean, the whole band on this song is practically Indian. You know, and the percussion is Indian. You know, there's a tabla in there and all this uh, Indian you know, instruments. And then you have Yellow Submarine, which is like, you know, Ringo Starr's drugged out <laughs> thing. <laughs> um, so, you know, you have all these tracks that are kind of, that you know, they're kind of the Beatles, but they're also almost little solo projects. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Just, it, 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 it was a, it was like a busting out record, you know, where, you know, they, they were like, okay, we've done this now. Let's move on and see what we can do with this album. And and, and like you said, everybody kind of has their their own you know thumbprint on some songs where it, it's very obvious. Like you said, that they were kind of moving in their own directions, but still you know working as a group. And uh, you know the the subject matter and a lot of the songs. I think that's one of the things I love uh, about this record, where you know they were you know speaking of you know a variety of things like obviously like an eleanor rigby where you know just people that just go on about their daily lives grinding and growing old and and being lonely and and being forgotten and and dying you know i mean it, it's a sad you know song in a lot of ways but more of like a song of kind of pointing out you know hey you know, this doesn't have to be like this, you know. I mean, you know, just if you know somebody that's, you know, old and, and lonely and, and seemingly like, you know, just kind of like a cranky person or whatever, you know, go check on them, you know, go go see about them. I, you know, I'm sure there's so many people like that even now today, you know, that have, you know, worked all their lives and have kind of had this disconnect with, you know, most of society where they're just kind of waiting to die. And uh, I think it was kind of like Paul's sort of, you know, personal protest on on that issue. And, and then the tax man, you know, which is, you know, George Harrison, you know, obviously just hitting the nail on the head of how he feels about, you know, 
being you know raped by the tax man so right, right just vent that song is like venting <laughs> oh yeah big time <laughs> and uh i i love that about about this album where they you know they put their feelings right out there in front you know and they they obviously had enough confidence to just let people know how they felt and and not feel ashamed about it and um uh and and this song uh, in particular is i think it was one of the first Beatles songs that i just you know wholeheartedly loved from the first moment i ever heard it you know just you know i, I as a child i really didn't listen to a lot of classical music at all my my parents didn't anyway so i mean i i never really heard much but you know hearing the the style of music that came off in this it might have been some of my first you know classically influenced music you know that i'd ever heard as a as a small child you know not really knowing what it was so um you know i've, I've always loved this song i've always thought it, it was one of the <coughs> better songs of beatles had ever ever done you know um i mean yeah. and that's hard i mean it was really hard really to pick you know two songs from this album uh, it was yeah so many great songs on this record yeah yeah and i, I agree with you i mean that's one of the my favorite parts of the song is the string quartet. And I love that it's just this, you know, classical string quartet as the band, you know, they don't add anything else into the mix. It's just the string quartet, you know, the whole way through. I I just love that. So let's check this out. This is from revolver. The first track, Eleanor Rigby. up the rice in the church where a wedding has been lives in a dream waits at the window wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door who is it for all the lonely people where do they all come from all the lonely people where do they all belong Father Mackenzie, writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. No one comes near, look at him working, darning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. What does he care, all the lonely people, where do they all come from? And we just heard Eleanor Rigby from Revolver, and we're going to move on to our second track, uh, Gotta Get You Into My Life. And like you said, you know, it, it was tough. It was really tough, you know, picking two tracks. Um, we, we ended up picking kind of two Paul tracks, <laughs> you know, from for whatever reason. Yeah, not on purpose. Not, not, not on purpose. But, um, uh, yeah, so many great tracks uh, from this album. Uh, this... Got to get you into my life. It kind of reminds me of stuff that Paul would go on to do in the seventies, like like with Wings. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It has that kind of sound 
to me. Yeah, he his, he definitely had the the more pure pop sensibility, I would say, of of any of the other guys in the band. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, like you said, looking at his his solo career, you you have songs like like silly love songs and um you know um band on the run and you know just so many other songs that that he did away from the beatles they were they were made it seemingly to be hits you know to be popular songs you know not not saying that's a knock against paul at all but he that's just who he was you know and i mean and he was very good at it you know for for a long long time you know he I, I mean, obviously, his solo career. I mean, I guess you would say, arguably, was was bigger than than any of the other Beatles. You know, I mean, some people would would probably say no. You know, and and that's that's you know, I, we we I'm sure we're we're gonna get people talking to us about the Beatles. You know, because they, they they can be debated on, you know, and. Until the world ends, you yeah. know, there's so yeah. much stuff to talk about on them, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, one, one other thing I wanted to mention is I think this album really kind of represents. Oh, there's my phone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to let it go. Um, this album kind of represents the Beatles transition, I, I think. Um, a transition in the career from a live touring band to a studio band. And why I say that is because um, just simply listening to the instrumentation for all these different songs, you know, so like for instance, like Eleanor Rigby is a classical string quartet. Uh, Tomorrow never ends has all these, you know, tape machines and, and sort of digital music and stuff. Um, Love to You is this Indian classical ensemble. A Yellow Submarine is this big brass band. Um, this song is like a, a bass drums and a large horn section, uh, you know, almost like a like a big band, jazz big band almost, mm-hmm. or, or or more like a band like uh, I don't know, a soul singer would have or something, you know, just like a, 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 a horn section with a rhythm section, and it goes on and on, you know, and so to be able to reproduce this live. Especially back then. It would have been impossible. You know, like now today people can kind of do this because we have, uh, you know, synthesizers and samplers and and all these kind of things that can cover all these sounds. But back then they didn't have any of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it would have been impossible to do live. So I think this is a, you know, their their move from being a live band to to being a studio band. Yeah, uh, definitely definitely would agree with that. Just... um, they, uh, you know, I, I guess you could definitely look at this album as kind of being like a bridge between the way they were initially and what they ended up being, you know, kind of towards the end, you know, still still encompassing all of that together. But, um, you know, like you said, I, I think their, their level of experimentation with music definitely would not have translated live um some of it would have been like like saying at the time would have been impossible almost i mean they you know they it it, it would have been they would have had to have like so many people you know working on the sound and and, and putting things together here and there i don't see how they would have done it live you know yeah, yeah like you said but you know it it, it was exciting 
in the in the fact that you you kind of got to see what was what was about to come, you know, and and I mean what was about to come was major, you know, in, in a sense that you know they would go on to to do uh, Sergeant Pepper's and and just have you know the world sort of look at them and music as a whole so differently, you know. And I, I wonder if they even knew. I mean, I, I'm sure they they probably had had some idea, but did they really know what was about to happen? You know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, interesting to to think about. Well, let's let's check out this track, the last track for the day from the Beatles, Beatles, the Beatles, <laughs> <laughs> the Beatles out al- album Revolver. This is Got to Get You Into My Life. I was alone, I took a ride, I didn't know what I would find there. Another road where maybe I could see another kind of mind there. Ooh, and I suddenly see you. Did I tell you I need you every single day of my life? You didn't run, you didn't lie, you knew I wanted just to hold you. And had you gone, you knew in time we'd meet again for I had told you. Ooh, you were meant to be near me. And I want you to hear me Say we'll be together every day Got to get you into my life What can I do, what can I be When I'm with you I want to stay there If I'm true, I'll never leave, and if I do, I know the way there Ooh, and I suddenly see you Ooh, did I tell you I need you Every single day of my life And you just heard Got to Get You Into My Life And that is going to do it for this week for the 1000 Recordings Podcast Um if you'd like to send us an email, please do so at 1000recordingspodcast at gmail.com. You can visit the website where we have links to all the albums that we play. Um, that is at 1000rp.blogspot.com. You can join us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 1000rp. And uh, you can also join us on Facebook. Right, and uh, again, you know, please, if you like the show, go to iTunes, leave us a review and a rating that, that will help us greatly in our visibility, visibility. Um, if I can talk and, uh, yeah, yeah. So next week, what do we got next week, Mitch? Uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, like I, I kind of mentioned just a second ago, uh, obviously just a landmark record, uh, for the Beatles and, and for, you know, popular music in general, um, the, the White Album, which uh, oh has been debated and and gone through and sifted through for its content over the years, you know, I mean the the focus on what the Beals were about and what they were saying and and how it influenced other people to do some 
some other things. Um, also, uh, Abbey Road, which uh, I, I really love that album. Uh, it has also uh, a song that I, I, I cannot resist. I mean, more than likely, hopefully we'll play this song is Here Comes the Sun. I, I, that's like so, oh, yeah. so much like one of my favorite Beatles songs. It, it's so simple and, it, and it's it, it's one to me. It's one of those songs and I'm not trying to jump ahead, really, but it, it's one of those songs that it's it's just refreshing. It's just rejuvenating, you know, no matter what you're going through, you know, something about here comes the sun, you know, it's, it's like a hot cup of coffee, you know, uh, <laughs> I yeah, guess. Yeah. Um, also, uh, the, uh, Bo Brommel's, um, psychedelic mod from the psychedelic mod blast from the Bay is, is what the, uh, the heading on the book says so that that should be really interesting uh-huh. <laughs> um and then uh sydney beckett which uh his uh bachet i'm sorry yeah, bachet is um i think the the last artist we're going to talk about apparently it's it's one of the the ken burns jazz series recordings yes which, um, you know obviously that's that's going to be interesting yeah 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 so um, yeah, more Beatles, and um, and then we're going to end with a little bit of jazz next time. So, yeah, um, I guess tune in next time for our uh, our wrap up on the Beatles. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. Anything else before we go? Um, no, uh, that was not as as uh, painful as I thought it would be initially. <laughs> uh, yeah, though, kind of, me too, kind of. <laughs> You know, I, I, I'm I'm fine with you know. Please send us your reviews. You know, whether they're you know, hey, you guys are knuckleheads, you have no idea what you're talking about, or you know, some of the other reviews we've gotten, which have been you know, you know, very good, you know, very uh, positive reviews. You know, let us know what you think. Um, you know, we're we're doing this one week at a time, and uh, you know, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I I love talking about the Beatles and the Beastie Boys too. Just uh, yeah. Uh, again, going back to Paul's boutique, that that record changed so much for rap and hip hop music. Um, and and you were talking about that that lawsuit. I think of that lawsuit as like the Bismarck Key uh, lawsuit after after the Beastie Boys when they I think Bismarck Key was he was sued for a, a song he sampled where it, it it totally changed the way people use samples in music. You know, to to really protect, you know, the people being sampled, which, you know, is, is is definitely a good thing. But it 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 hurt some artists where they, you know, were kind of left to clean up a mess that their their labels and and attorneys really should have handled before the records come out. You know, yeah. So. yeah. But anyway. All right. Awesome. Well, um, we are going to go get a Christmas tree. So, <laughs> cool. <laughs> so uh, I, I got one last night. It's still laying on the floor. I need to go. Oh, nice. And decorate it and put it up today. So I, I got it late last night. So yeah, I'm 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 the same way. I'm I'm just putting up my Christmas tree. So yeah, awesome. Well, um, yeah, I guess we'll see you next week. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah we'll see everybody. And uh, yeah, until next week. Um, see everybody later. All right. Bye, everybody.